This week, something significant was taken from me, my family, and thousands of people I care about. One man decided to do harm to many so he could conceivably feel better about himself in some way. I have run the gamut of emotions about it over the past 48 hours, and when it is all said and done, the best thing I can do is become even more focused on what I do and why. Work harder, give more. Mahatma Gandhi said, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. I translate that to, when the world takes from you, give right back in any way, shape, or form. Two things I want to clarify about what I just read. One, what I just read was written by me back in May 2014 and attached to an Instagram photo. The photo shows my arm with blood being drawn from it, as I had decided in my state of anger and hurt at that moment to go and give blood. To do something of service to others, as opposed to focusing on the wrong that I thought had been done to me. And over the photo, I superimposed the sentence, when the world takes from you, give right back. The second thing I want to clarify, that quote, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Well, Mahatma Gandhi, he never said that. Now, I know we've been here on the show before, but it continues to mind boggle me the amount of quotes that are falsely attributed to people. I mean, some are drastically reworded. Others are just fabricated. Einstein said, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. No. Einstein never said that. Machiavelli, the ends justify the means. Not even close. Tolstoy, the sole meaning of life is to serve humanity. Fabricated. And of course, Nick previously shared this one with you. George Washington, I cannot tell a lie. Lie. <laughs> and Gandhi again, maybe his most quoted quote, you must be the change that you wish to see in the world. He never said that. To be frank, after two years of writing these shows and checking sources, I am starting to wonder if Gandhi ever said anything. But I, uh, I digress. <laughs> so even though Gandhi may have never said, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others, I have still always found the idea of that quote to be both effective and true for me. At times in my life when I get really busy, I'm stressed out, or moments like that one two and a half years ago when I'm angry and I feel like the world is happening to me, I can find that 80% of the words going through my head are I, 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 I. I! And it is in those moments, well, you know, when I am self-aware anyway, that I say to myself, I have got to get outwardly focused. I have to serve somebody else. Or even in moments when I think I feel like I'm not really sure what I want to do next or I'm confused, I find that if I just go out and be of service in any way, you know, e even the smallest act, I find that external focus often completely shifts my attitude. And in many cases, I find a solution where I wasn't finding one or didn't see one before. 
As some of you know, if you've been listening to the show a while, I am an American. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And a Canadian. I grew up in Canada. I moved to San Francisco when I was 25 years old. I spent 19 years living there, and just last year, I moved back to Toronto. In my first few months living here again, one of the things I noticed was how different the service at bars and restaurants is here compared to San Francisco. I noticed it, and then when I had conversations with people who lived here, they confirmed my experience, saying things like, oh yeah, that's what it's like here. And the experience that I had over and over when I would go out to eat or drink was that the overall level of attention and enthusiasm for customer service was noticeably lower than what I had become used to in San Francisco. I mean, it often felt like I was bothering the waiter or the waitress by being there. I'm busy. Um, we all are. Now, obviously this isn't everyone and everywhere, but it was tangible enough that after more than a handful of experiences, I noticed it, and it bothered me. I worked in the service industry for years, and in San Francisco anyway, and I think in many places, there is a kinship between servers. You could say that we respect the act of service and the role of the server. And I love the idea that, you know, when I go to a restaurant, the waiter or waitress is saying, I am here to serve you because that's my job. And the next night they might go out to dinner and somebody serves them. And it could even be the very person they served the day before. But now they are the VIP. The server becomes a served. And not in a I'm better than you or worse than you way. It's none of that. It's just that in this moment, I am here to serve you. And I think that is a really beautiful thing that we can be that humble servant to someone one day, and the next day, someone is that humble servant to us. And we are not just talking about restaurants here. We are talking about every aspect of our life. Every day we have the opportunity to serve, and perhaps the blessing of being served. And I believe, and this is my thesis to you today, that through acts of service, we can create a truly meaningful, purposeful and collaborative world, and that making a commitment to service can impact our everyday personal lives, our businesses, our communities, and our countries. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we explore how can we make ourselves better through being of service to others. My name is Brett Gaida. And my name is Nick Jaworski. Let's start the show. You may or may not be aware of this, but recently there was an election in the United States of America. It got a bit of coverage in the news, so I I won't go into the details, but 
it's over now. Thank you, God! And regardless of who was going to win, I'll suggest these past 18 months in America have made it clear that people are sick and tired of what is. And I think most of us can agree that much of the way the system is operating right now is broken. People are hurting. They're scared. They're angry. They're sad. And often, when things aren't the way we want them, whether we are talking about a country or a business or a relationship, we we often point fingers and look to change something outside of ourselves. Oh, this entire mess is all your fault. Not that a new government or a new job or a new location won't change things, but most impactful change, as far as our own fulfillment, happiness, and prosperity goes, does not happen because of what is around us. It happens because of what is within us and the actions that we in turn take. So I understand that this is a tough time for many of us. And I know that a lot of our listeners are grappling with what has happened. But remember our control episode? Only by focusing on what we can control can we create movement and change. And so what can we control? Let's put aside, just for the next 30 minutes, everything that may or may not happen outside of our control. Because no matter if we think it will help us or hurt us, we don't really know. And again, we can't control it. So let's put that aside and consider what is in our power. In his essay, Three Methods of Reform, Writer Leo Tolstoy stated that, quote, and yes, this is an actual quote I checked, there can be only one permanent revolution, a moral one, the regeneration of the inner man, unquote. However, he goes on to state perhaps the biggest obstacle to this revolution is that, quote, in our world, everybody thinks of changing humanity and nobody thinks of changing himself. What is actually going to make a difference for you, for each of us, is to make a difference. Make, a verb meaning to form something by putting parts together or combining substances, to construct, create, to cause something to exist or come about, to bring it about. Make it so. Put simply, If I want something different, I need to do something different. This is not one of those restaurants at the airport where I can pick what I want on the iPad, swipe my credit card, and 10 minutes later, someone brings over what I ordered. Is this real life? No, this is real life, where posting something on Facebook does not make a difference. Where sitting back and expecting someone in a white house to change my life or my world will not work. And where talking about stuff may help us to process it, but it does not actually produce something different. We need to form difference, build it, assemble it, fabricate it. And so I wonder, what if this work we need to do on us is somehow linked to what we can give to other people? 
much like I suggested earlier, what if by focusing outward, we can change ourselves inward? And in changing ourselves, actually change humanity. Now, that might sound a bit bold or optimistic, but again, what can we control? James M. Goldgeier is the Dean of the School of International Service at American University. In an article for the Huffington Post entitled, The Value of Service, he wrote, Service is not a one-way street. Service opportunities make a difference not only to those who receive the help, they help shape the server themselves. A few months back, I had a conversation with author and speaker John Gordon. His most recent book, The Carpenter, tells a story about what he calls the greatest success strategies of all. And they are summed up in three words, love, serve, care. I asked him about why there seems to be a resistance to even the word service, let alone the act of it. And I suggested that some people seem to associate the idea of being of service with being less than. I asked if he'd witnessed that in others. The other aspect, as you said, is this prideful aspect and ego aspect that so many leaders don't realize that in serving others, that's where you generate power, not for yourself. But for your organization, as you serve others, you help them get better. But something interesting happens. When you serve others, you get better. You actually become a better leader. You help them get better. They then make the team better. That makes you better overall. So it's, it's amazing how this idea of service people think is weak, but it's really strong. And we see servant leaders throughout history, whether it was Jesus or, or Martin Luther King or, or Gandhi or Mother Teresa. We see these, these servant leaders in the world. And these are the people that we talk about throughout history. We talk about the people who were servants. You know, we don't really ongoing honor and respect those who, who use their power to hurt others and to uh, cause harm or for their own good. We truly admire those who used the power to empower others, to give the power away. And that's what servant is. So it's, I'm here to serve you because I want to make you better. I'm here to serve you because you might need service. I'm here to serve you because I love you. I'm here to serve you because it's what I'm here to do. And as I serve you, we make the world a better place. What if we spent less time focused on what we could get and more time focused on what we can give? Jim Kielsmeyer is a former soldier, teacher, and Outward Bound instructor. Almost 30 years ago, he founded the National Youth Leadership Council with the mission of building a more just, sustainable, and peaceful world through service learning. In 2010, he led state and federal legislative efforts to assure that service learning became a new standard in K-12 education in the USA. In 2013... He gave a TEDx talk entitled Service and Schools, 
partnership on purpose. And he opened it with these words. Meaning and purpose in life is not something that is given to one. It's earned. It's something that comes through significant service and contribution. This is uh, the question of how to make service and contribution part of the growing up experience of all Americans, and hopefully for people in other parts of the world, is in essence what I've been following all my life. Jim goes on to mention the 1910 essay by American psychologist and philosopher William James entitled The Moral Equivalent of War. In this essay, James discusses what was considered, and frankly still should be, a classic problem of politics. How to sustain political unity and civic virtue in the absence of war or a credible threat. And James's idea was that we could create, hopefully in, in a larger society, a, a way of bringing people into service and contribution that did not involve violence. That was something that could be take the advantages of all the things that happen that are very positive in a military experience in terms of camaraderie, uh, working together across cultures, challenge and adventure, but do it for peaceful ends. And James's idea is often attributed with inspiring government-implemented service-based organizations in the U.S., the first being the Civilian Conservation Corps in the 1930s. Probably the most well-known, which still exists today, is the Peace Corps. Where are you going? The Peace Corps? That's right. I was joking. Mm. It was established by President Kennedy in 1961, and in the past 55 years, nearly 220,000 Americans have joined the Peace Corps and served in 141 countries. And within the USA, there is AmeriCorps, sometimes referred to as a domestic version of the Peace Corps. It employs more than 75,000 Americans each year, engaging adults in public service work with the goal of helping others and meeting critical needs in the community. And so opportunities to serve in an impactful way do exist. But how many of us make that commitment, make that sacrifice? In a 2014 interview with New York Magazine, John Stewart, former host of The Daily Show, was asked if he thought they should reinstate a draft in the United States. His answer was, I do. And then he clarified his remarks by saying, quote, I also think it should be non-compulsory military. There should be a draft where every young person has to do one year of something, military, public works, something, so that we all feel invested in the same game, because that's the part that we've lost, unquote. I think this is a really powerful idea. And I certainly believe that an experience like this for each of us as young adults would change our perspective and in turn all of our relationships to our country and our fellow countrymen and women. But I don't want all of us listening and contemplating service right now to think that it can only be done as a grand act. Service can, and for this to work, truly must exist in our everyday lives as well. In his 2011 commencement address to the School of International Service, then Peace Corps Director Aaron Williams noted that, Service isn't just about a moment, 
Service is truly a mindset. Whatever field you choose, whatever line of work, you can always find ways to help others out. And when you start your careers in a service mindset, it never, never goes away. Going back to my conversation with author and speaker John Gordon, he shares how an annual practice of his helped him to bring forth that service mindset into his everyday life. Two years ago, my word was serve. Every year, there's a word that I choose or that word chooses me for the year. So what's going to be my word for the year is, is something I think about every December and, and serve came to me and I realized I needed to serve more. And I said, okay, where do I need to serve? And serving at home became a real uh, predominant feeling that I, that I had I said, okay, I got to start serving at home. My wife was struggling. My kids were struggling. I was on the road speaking a lot. You know, my kids were teenagers. So it was a really tough time. And Every bone in my body wanted to focus on me, you know, and the work that I'm here to do and the work that I'm here to, the difference I'm here to make. And I get to go out there and share this message. And, but the truth is by the end of that year, I realized I was at my best when I focused on we, when I focused on putting my family first. So I was there every day when my daughter got home from school, I drove her to school every day. I didn't travel for three months. I was there supporting my wife. I was so frustrated though, because I was like, why can't my kids be self-starters? You know, I was a self-starter as a kid. And when I speak to coaches, I joke with them, I wanted a different team, but it's true. I really did want a different team. But by the end of the year, I realized I didn't need a different team. I needed to become a better leader. I love that last part because how many of us have done that? When things aren't going our way, instead of asking, how can I be better? We want a different team. Whether that team is our relationship, the company we work for, the people we work with, or the country we live in. People have said to me during this election cycle and now again in the past week, well, I bet you're glad you're living in Canada now. And of course, there has been this ongoing conversation by many of, well, if Trump wins, I am moving to Canada. And now, here we are post-election, and I will say that for me, it is the opposite. Every ounce of my being wants to move back to the USA right now. Because now is when I feel a country that I love needs me the most. Change doesn't happen from a distance. It happens from the inside. The saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, doesn't mean that they get going to Canada or anywhere else. It doesn't mean that they get going looking for a new job or a new relationship. It means when the going get tough, the tough get going to work. It means we get going to work on the issues at hand. We get going to work and fight for all that we love. It means we get going to work on ourselves. And as John Gordon said, we become better leaders. And as Gandhi never said, you must be the change that you wish to see in the world. This past week, I felt an increase in responsibility and enthusiasm around creating where there's smoke. Because I've been passive too. And I do feel like this show plays a productive function in the process of evolution and change in our world. I was actually talking to a fellow podcaster, Ella, from the podcast On Air with Ella this past week, and she said something very kind and encouraging. You guys make the internet a smarter, more intelligent, responsible place. Like, <laughs> I love your show. And so I think what we are doing is making a difference, and I feel that responsibility. But we also know that 
it is still not enough. I mean, even going back to that moment a couple years ago when I was hurt and I was angry and I chose to give blood, I mean, that was a step in the right direction, you know, a shift from the inward to the outward. But what if I had brought someone with me to give blood? Or two people? Or three? Because it is not just about what we do. It is about who we bring with us as well. And so this past week has left me asking myself the question, am I committed to the world I want to live in or just interested in it? And we are going to leave you with some audio from Martin Luther King. It is from his drum major instinct sermon given on February 4th, 1968. In this sermon, Martin Luther King is telling a story about Jesus. Though, really, it is a story about how we lead and the dangerous impulse of wanting to feel important. And the story starts with James and John approaching Jesus and making a request of their new master, that he would allow them to sit on the right hand and the left hand of his throne. There is a quote in it that perhaps many of you know, which is, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. But even if you've heard that quote, most of you have probably never heard the audio of this sermon and the words that surround that quote. And frankly, well, Nick and I know that we can't say it better. And so with that, I challenge all of us to create or renew a commitment to serve in our life. And I pass the mic MLK. But let me rush on to my conclusion because I want you to see what Jesus was really saying. What was the answer that Jesus gave these men? It's very interesting. One would have thought that Jesus would have condemned them. One would have thought that Jesus would have said, You are out of your place, you are selfish. Why would you raise such a question? That isn't what Jesus did. He did something altogether different. He, he said in substance, Oh, I see. You want to be first? You want to be great? You want to be important? You want to be significant? Well, you ought to be. If you're going to be my disciple, you must be. He reordered priorities. And he said, yes, don't give up this instinct. It's a good instinct if you use it right. Yes. It's a good instinct if you don't distort it and pervert it. Don't give it up. Keep feeling the need for being important. Keep feeling the need for being first. But I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in moral excellence. I want you to be first in generosity. That is what I want you to do. And so Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you 
shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. And this morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great. Because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't, know, you don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace. Soul generated by love. And you can be that servant. Yes, Jesus, I want to be on your right or your left side. Not for any selfish reason. I want to be on your right or your left side. Not in terms of some political kingdom or ambition. But I just want to be there in love and in justice and in truth. And in commitment to others so that we can make of this old world a new world. 